Hi, I'm Kim LaPree from the Teachers Need Teachers podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. District leaders nationwide have confirmed that online learning is here to stay. As one in five districts are planning to adopt or have already adopted a fully online school. With the evolving landscape in the competitive field of education, you might be wondering what you can do to stand out. Well, I encourage you to look into National Virtual Teacher Association, or NVTA, to pursue a college-accredited program recognized by states across the country to certify educators in online education. Their certification empowers educators to provide the world-class virtual instruction that every student deserves. The average teacher needs one semester to complete the program, and it culminates in a digital portfolio that you may use in job interviews or even with your current administration to, you know, (laughs) negotiate a raise or promotion. Some of the topics to be covered in the certification include establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources. The NVTA certification process was created to establish a valid and reliable research-based teacher qualification training process for virtual teachers to enhance their teaching and develop their ongoing reflective skills to improve teaching capacity. NVTA certification is a challenging and meaningful process to support your personal and professional goals. NVTA is an affiliate partner for Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Click the link in the show notes or go to my webpage, stephenmoletto.com, find the NVTA logo and go to their website that way. And if you do that, If you buy something, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission, and I greatly thank you for that. So go check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Danielle Sullivan, the National Director of Content and Implementation at Curriculum Associates. Today we're talking about her thoughts around dealing with teacher burnout and her article, The Connection Cure, Why Educators Need Balance, Laughter, and Community More Than Ever. So much to learn today. Thanks for listening. This is incredible talk. And by the way, before you go, it would be so awesome if you would go into the, you know, the podcast app that you're listening to me on and you rated and reviewed the, uh, the episode. Could you do that? Would you? How about it? You know, you're really, really cool. It would be awesome. Thanks. Enjoy. You know, a couple of years ago, my, uh, my wedding band started having problems. Now, I've had it for 34 years, and uh, it started breaking at, at the backside of it. And we had it fixed a couple of different times. And then eventually, not too long ago, one of those, that backside just fell out, and it couldn't be fixed any longer. And I'm like, this is crazy. I, you know, I shouldn't have to deal with this. And, and so anyway, then a friend told me about uh, Boone Titanium Rings, and, uh, which is at boonrings.com. And they have this incredible selection of titanium rings. And... and uh, I now have a titanium ring as my wedding band. What's really cool is like it's an engraved ring that has uh, these cool car pistons on it and some stars. And, and I could have chosen from any kind of different stand, uh, styles, as well as they have all these other different types of rings, like uh, inlays that have meteorite, wood, acrylic, stone, and things like that. They also make uh, carved rings and, and, and just an assortment of other rings that uh, are just pretty amazing. They also make pendants and cufflinks and earrings, and as well as a couple different types of tools. Um, I got to tell you, something it's really cool because this ring's not going to break <laughs> and uh they, they'll make you happy and uh just as a note uh teaching learning leading k-12 um they've become an affiliate sponsor for us and so if you were to use our code which is capital t capital l capital l capital k the number 12 
and uh, use that at checkout, you get 10% off your ring and uh, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission. I think you're going to love their rings. I know I'd love mine. You are listening to Teaching Learning Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. Now here's Steve with this week's show. Danielle Sullivan brings 10 years of teaching experience to her role as a National Director of Content and Implementation at Curriculum Associates. She specializes in establishing and strengthening middle school implementations with an emphasis on student engagement and motivation. Her popular webinars, presentations, and professional development training sessions have established her as a thought leader in educator well-being, personal development, self-care, and community building. Danielle is the co-host of the Curriculum Associates Extraordinary Educator podcast, a prolific writer, and a dedicated colleague to the schools and districts with which she partners. Today, Danielle is here to talk about the importance of educator self-care during this time, as well as Danielle will provide helpful strategies and best practice educators can use to find much-needed balance. Danielle, great to have you on the show, and thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. You know, Danielle, before we start talking about uh, um, self-care and such today, let's talk about you. You were a teacher for 10 years. What did you like most about working with kids? I loved the connection with kids. I loved being able to have fun, think of creative ways to help the learning come alive. And I actually carry a lot of that into the work I currently do with educators. But I was the teacher that would dress up like a leprechaun on St. Patrick's Day. And I literally taught in an Irish accent, which for me is a combination of a pirate an Irish and a Midwestern accent. It's, they sounds the same, but I would just have a, a lot of fun times with them. And I wish I used a lot of the curriculum that I now utilize in my uh, at curriculum associates, because I feel like I did a really great job connecting with students, but not as great of a job as helping them learn. But I know that they were cared for, which is why this topic is so, uh, I'm so passionate about this topic of just connection and self-care. That's awesome. That's awesome. By, by the way, so, you know, uh, uh, before we start recording, uh, you, you told me that you had some improvs uh, background. Yes. So uh, that had to pay off there, too, I can imagine. <laughs> it did. And I mean, one of the stories I actually tell a lot um, when, if we start talking about teacher burnout was I needed something for myself. Um, I was teaching probably the third year into teaching. I was, I was a special education teacher and I actually was a non-traditional age teacher. I went to set out to be a teacher right after college, but unfortunately my mom passed away. So I couldn't go immediately into teaching. So I ended up going into politics because that was the other passion that I had. So I worked in New York state government. I worked on Capitol Hill and through all of that, I realized I wanted to make a real impact. So then I became a teacher and through teaching, it was hard. Um, I became really stressed out third, fourth year into teaching, felt like nothing I did mattered. So that's when I took a summer long professional development program where I learned to write for myself. And then I had the courage to join an improv comedy troupe, the best thing I ever did. So I was in a troupe for five years. I learned so many valuable skills. It was so fun. And I've infused that now moving forward, but I, that's where I love to laugh. That's awesome. That's, <laughs> that's so cool. I mean, talk about that's something that would really pay off in, uh, by the way, in, in the political field as well, I can imagine the, uh, 
But, it, you know, with dealing with uh, students and uh, everybody in and around, parents and everybody, just and colleagues, um, <laughs> just being able to go with the flow. I like that. That that explains a lot in part of in your article, too, by the way, which we'll get to, which is kind of cool. So good stuff. So I got to ask then, is, since you did improv, which, what what did you like the most when you were on, you know, doing your thing, your stick, whatever? So what I love about improv, I tried stand up for a little bit which was a complete faster. I need people to interact with. That's, that's a huge thing I found. I mean, standing up, I mean, stand up is hard. If you watch stand up comedians, I mean, some are really, really funny. Some are terrible. A lot of the circles that I was in, cause you know, the amateur stand up is very terrible. So I tried that and it was fun to like tell stories. But when I, when I went to my first improv show, it blew my mind. I mean, I always wanted to be on SNL when I was a little child, that was a dream of mine. I kind of lost that dream. So when I reconnected with that part of myself and being on stage, in the moment, making stuff up, so fun, but my absolute favorite, and I still do this as part of my um, presentations, is making up songs on the spot. So the combination of, because I was in an acapella group forever, actually started acapella groups to make friends after college. So I love to sing and then being on stage. So, so somebody would be making up the music as I'm making up the words, like we'd play a game called serenade and we'd serenade about toads, whatever the topic was. So I'd be making up a song about toads on the spot. Nice. That was my favorite. That's awesome. That that's something I would be completely bad at is just, <laughs> yes, just toads. Okay. Road. Uh, road. Yeah. That's not going to do well for me. That's, that's cool. So thank, thanks so much for talking about that. That's uh, that's awesome. Cause you, you know, and definitely just the impact, you know, in working with kids, cause that talk about an audience that you don't know what they're going to do next type thing. <laughs> I know. And I would say every person in education is an improviser. That is carte blanche. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Cause kids say the weirdest things and the more you can adapt and adjust. I mean, so that's why I, and when I sometimes share this with educators, I was like, have you ever been to an improv show? Oh wait, I'm sorry. Your classroom. Yes, you have. Everybody's been to an improv show. I like that. That's awesome. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Um, so, uh, Danielle is the National Director of Content and Implementation at Curriculum Associates. What's your main focus? So, I have the pleasure and privilege of supporting educators from across the country. And we do, my role is to uh, share our solutions and products, so some sales, but I'm really joyful that I get to do this work. And especially this year, I'm really focusing on the impact of social emotional learning, how we support educators through our products and solutions at Curriculum Associates, but also like this professional paper I was able to write through Curriculum Associates and just sharing educator self-care, making sure that educators are really tuning into what students need because we are in the business of educating humans and humans have emotions. And that's something that we keep removing from school and work and life, <laughs> which is not helpful. So I want to bring the happy back into classrooms and I'm really joyful that I get to do that as part of this work. That's awesome. And I love, I love that thought. Cause you are right. There, there, there's an, whether cognizant attempt, um, there's definitely an attempt to smack it out of there. The, the happiness and uh, that focus. So I, um, that's a good point. Um, it, 
So let's kind of let's kind of shift. We're getting a little closer to our to your topic for the day. You know, uh, just over a year ago, the pandemic hit and life became so much different. <laughs> you know, in, in public education, schools closed and teachers started learning new ways to teach. How'd your world have to to adjust to COVID? We adjusted a lot um, for my role as a national director. I currently live in Florida. We traveled a lot. I was on a plane. Oh, my goodness. I think I was on like 18 planes just in January and February of 2020. Wow. So for me, everything halted, which was blessing to um, the travel became really intense, um, which I love what I do. I love serving educators, but it, I, I needed a break anyway. I didn't global pandemic. I got to be careful what I wish for, I guess. So for us, uh, a lot of what we do, we had a lot of in-person events, all of that. So we were really fortunate to be able to adjust just like educators to turn everything virtual pretty much overnight. So from our professional development specialists who used to go into schools, we were doing virtual professional development. From my perspective and my team and the national directors, we were hosting virtual nationwide conferences. And then since then, we've adapted and done, just like educators, uh, hybrid, actually not even hybrid. We've been doing virtual sessions all year. And it's been interesting. I think education forever changed in this way. I think it was moving to more blended solutions, offering different learning opportunities. But I think the pandemic really uh, made that faster, happen faster. You got that right. I tell you, one of the biggest changes that I noticed um, is that uh, I've been using Zoom, uh, by the way, not a product placement. I'm not sponsored by them. Uh, right. the, <laughs> but I've been using Zoom for a couple of years. I, I skipped over from Skype because somebody introduced me to it. I had been having some problems with Skype and, and once again, not product placement. The, uh, <laughs> nothing against them, but I've been having problems with it. And one of my guests said, have you ever used this thing called Zoom? And I said, oh, so I've been using it for about two years. And you know what was funny was I'd talk with guests and they go, well, how do you use it? And I said, I'll just, I'll just click on the link when I send you the link. And oh, okay. And you know, and so I just, yeah, that's because most people didn't know what it was. There were just little, you know, thoughts about whether they're going to be able to use it or not at first. And now almost everybody knows how to use at least something oh, like Zoom, it. That's what, I was laughing because you're like not a product placement. Um, Zoom sponsors the world now. Didn't you know that? I mean, everybody <laughs> True. uses Zoom. It's, it's now a new, it's part of our lexicon. It's part of our daily operating systems. It's very interesting. I mean, I, I'm an Apple person, so I would use FaceTime. I don't even FaceTime anymore because we Zoom everywhere. Nice. So, yeah. isn't, it, isn't it funny how, I mean, because, and it's, what's funny what you just said, you're right. It's, it's almost like, you know, in the, in the seventies, there's this device, actually it goes further back than that, but everyone started calling the thing a Xerox machine. And so uh, every copies were Xeroxed. And uh, no matter if it was a, <laughs> a Toshiba or whatever it was being used on, it was a Xerox. And, you know, and this is. Yep, so all you, virtual meetings are now Zooms. Exactly. Even are if you you're using today? another platform. Yep, let's <laughs> zoom in. All we got to do is just a Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's awesome. It, um, and as a note to the point that, um, that even, you know, insurance companies are making fun <laughs> on their TV ads. So, which I, Oh yeah. I mean, Saturday night live when they did their virtual for it didn't go as well as now they're clearly back in person, but they did their virtual sessions through zoom, making fun <laughs> of zoom. So it's a thing and it's now a part of daily lives. It's pretty wild. It's just, just how, how our world has uh, 
changed and adjusted and we're still adjusting. I mean, one of the things that we learned in education real, rather quickly, though, is that um, there were some, you know, a lot of educators really didn't know how to convert over to the virtual world and they had to figure that out. And a lot of school systems had no clue either. Uh, they may have been practicing or pretending before, but uh, they suddenly had to go, hmm, I don't think we know as much as we thought we knew. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I will say, speaking of educator resiliency, no other profession had to change overnight the way educators did. And educators were up to the task and have done an amazing, amazing job across the board again and again. Very much so. Very much so. That was, uh, you know, it's uh, pretty wild just thinking about, I mean, the doors were shut and then it's like, okay, we're not gonna be able to stay this way for very long. We're going to do something. And, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's amazing how far we've come since this time last year. So, right. Um, it, so recently you wrote a paper for, uh, for curriculum associates and it's titled the connection cure, why educators need balance, laughter, and community more than ever. Uh, what inspired you to write this article? This has been a passion project of mine for many, many years. So what inspired me to write this article is that I actually had time to write it. That's neat. <laughs> so I had been, I know it was great. I mean, there's a lot of silver linings of the pandemic for sure for me personally. Um, and then a lot of horrific things that have happened with the pandemic also. However, this is a topic that I've been studying for a very long time. It started when I myself recognized my own personal burnout um, from when I was a teacher. And I sat on this whole course of learning for the last, I think now, 10 to 15 years of studying what makes students learn, what are the best environments for learning, and how can we make sure that we continue to cultivate those environments. And what I found is human connection, relationships, making sure all the students are feeling seen, heard, and valued, but that's not enough because it starts with the teachers. And if I was burnt out, my friends were burned out, this is happening in the you know mid 2000s, so this is not a COVID thing, but it's just, it's just gotten worse. So it's now, especially now more than ever, I felt um, this needed to get out. We really have to return to what does it mean to take care of ourselves? Not check out, not um, just escape, true self-care to really show up and be there for students because students need educators to be there more than ever. There's, we're not gonna know the impacts of COVID for a very long time and it's been hard, but this has been something that I've seen in a long time. And then when I stumbled upon the research of Brene Brown, it gave language and research to really back up a lot of things that I've known and seen in education. And so I just continued the research and was able to finally formalize it in this professional paper, which I was excited to finish. Very cool. Well, it's an awesome, it's an awesome uh, paper and uh, it's cool because the, the way you've written it, uh, you have a couple of uh, descriptions of some people out there. It's not just you talking about uh, some things that are going on and uh, it's really cool. So excellent article and uh, I Thank you. encourage everyone to read it. We've got, uh, and so let's talk a little bit about what's in that article. Uh, you know, right. it, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, um, the article starts out by saying that you are focused not just on the current times of COVID, but also the work world of the educator always. Could you first start out by defining what we're talking about when we talk about teacher burnout? 
So teacher burnout, I'm going to reference um, a piece of research or a book that actually I reference in the paper. It's a, I don't, I don't think it's a very current book, but it's called Unlocking the Stress Cycle by Emily and, oh my goodness, what's her other name? The Nagowskis. This burnout, the secret to unlocking the stress cycle, Emily and Amelia Nagowski. But they framed it in a way that, again, I love when researchers can put some language to things that I've known and seen. What does it mean to have burnout for teachers? When you're emotionally exhausted, when you start to depersonalize, meaning like you're putting distance between you and the students that you're working with, or even, even the people in your life, when you're just stop remembering that they're people. And then the third is that no matter what you do, it doesn't matter. And I felt like, so I know burnout because I felt those three things. I felt like I was a glorified homework helper. I felt like no matter how many hours I worked as a teacher, the students just weren't getting it. I just struggled to deliver the content. I didn't know. I mean, I was struggling to learn as a special education teacher. I had to learn all of the subjects, three different grade levels. Just I worked and worked and worked. And no matter how hard I worked, I felt like nothing mattered. The problem is teachers are given too much to do, not enough time to do it. The standards keep changing, curriculum keeps changing, expectations keep changing, then there's COVID. (laughs) So in education, it's really hard to try to figure it all out when things keep changing and then you don't have time. So teacher burnout is a problem because work-life balance is a challenge. Educators are bringing more and more work home. Time is stripped away from them during the school day. So whatever planning period you have is taken away by meetings or this or that. So it's in order to really deepen learning, you need time. That is what education is not built. I mean, we have the same 24 hours a day, but schedules are crazy. You're shuffling kids here and there. It's just our systems aren't set up for success in many ways. And educators just keep trying to put like a round peg in a square hole. So this problem happened before. Teachers were struggling connecting with students. Students weren't feeling valued in school. Like this has been something that has been a problem. So I actually have done several workshops and sessions for the last two to three years around how to connect more with students. Then introduced the pandemic, which has exasperated so many things in our world, period. You got that right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah and, it, and it's it's interesting because, you know, like, you kind of hit on lots of the different areas. I mean, there's, there's so much and lots of it just comes down to um, so much to do so little time and everybody else knows exactly how you should do it. Um, right. Except you, you know, it's like, <laughs> thank you. Yes. I appreciate that. And how long were you in the classroom? Oh <laughs> yeah, you weren't. Okay. Except when you were a kid. Now I get it. Okay. So it, you know what, let's kind of talk about some of the most challenging issues that teachers face. I mean, what are, that, that helped discourage them? What, what do you think are a couple of those? I think teachers, like what you just shared, um, I actually did a survey a couple of years ago. What are your biggest issues? This is probably like, I think seven years ago at this point of what are your biggest complaints about education? And many of them said they're just overwhelmed. Like you said, um, everyone's telling them what to do, but nobody's asking them. They are, things keep changing there's less time and even time um, with the summer that you're supposed to plan or just have space and creativity. Creativity is being smushed because there's way more focus on standards, state assessment, accountability, 
performance plans and teachers are being punished in different ways. Um, use like, there's a lot of data that's been used to punish. I mean, I work for a data driven company and I just, I'm very upset with the ways that educators have been punished with data because data could be used to empower and engage educators and students. So there's just a lot of the oppressive systems that have been slowly crushing teachers' spirits and students' spirits for a very long time. Then when you layer in having to change your entire model model of teaching overnight, then you layer in trying to connect with students in a virtual environment, trying to help them feel safe and seen even with masks and social distancing and all of that, it's a hard time to be in education. It was a hard time before for all the reasons I just stated, but especially now it is a really hard time to be in education and educators are struggling and they're leaving the profession, but not as much as we thought, actually, that's interesting too, but they are the most important. I think, I think what's another silver lining of COVID is so many families who have been homeschooling quote air quotes. You can't see it on a podcast homeschooling. (laughs) Uh, Their, their children have been home. They have a newfound appreciation for what teachers do because we ask so much of teachers. Teachers aren't just teaching content. They're also caretaking. They're teaching emotional skills. They're teaching survival skills to just how to be, you know, humans. And unfortunately though, so many schools and districts are focusing just on the standards, which are also important. I'm not saying they're not, but this is where I think this work is really critical of just understanding how to caretake the people, the teachers, and how we can caretake the students as a whole person. That's been, we've been needing to do that for a long time. And I think it's now we're in a crisis around it. Well, we definitely are. This is, we were, uh, you know, I, I like to say that uh, I thought it was funny when funny, strange, not funny, haha. Right. Funny, <laughs> ironic, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. When, uh, you know, there's states doing research and the, the feds doing research on, on how to uh, retain teachers. And yet we've had, you know, 30, 40 years of bombardment of uh, every, everyone who does teach doesn't know how to teach type thing, you know, and, uh, um, and we can uh, do better. And, uh, and then in the meantime, we're going to use accountability as a dirty word and we're going to bombard you. You're talking about, uh, um, you know, the, uh, other aspects of uh, just everything being put on the shoulders and making it more difficult than what it should be, you know, and, you know, using data as a, as a tool to smack you around instead of data to support and help you understand right. how to reach out to a kid. Well, the term accountability is not, you know, shouldn't be a dirty word, but it is because what's happened is that it <laughs> accountability can be the aspect of understanding that, uh, you know, why you're here and what your role is versus the idea that, oh yeah. And by the way, now I'm going to hold you responsible for all of this stuff here. And, uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> instead of using it to help you understand a little bit more about, uh, what we need to do to make adjustments. So right. it, all that stuff really kind of, <laughs> that was weighs a little, on you. Yes, it's it, a lot. <laughs> no, it really it's is. Especially, lot. especially when you work with kids and I don't care how, you know, the, you've got kids who are really up there in, uh, achieving really well and you got kids that are you know having struggling understanding just little basics of their language and you got everything in between and it's it's funny that all those different levels there's all kinds of different areas that uh you you find success with kids (laughs) that's not that's not in a test (laughs) right it's not in a test it's by getting to know them build relationships 
having classrooms where the students feel safe, seen, heard, valued, then magic can happen. But teachers need to be given more time and autonomy to do what they're best hired to do, which is teach. And if you give teachers time and space and give them some creative liberties, which has been another silver lining of the pandemic, a lot of teachers have been given way more autonomy than they've had in the past. A lot of creativity has been required of them. And then um, leaders have been given time to create. But even uh, there's been so many schools and so many teachers we've talked to that they've had a break in the middle of their week. It's been a gift. I know it's being taken away now that returning to buildings, but educators have worked Monday, Tuesday, had a virtual day Wednesday where they could plan and, and, and collaborate and analyze data. And then students are back Thursday, Friday. So I think it's worth what's worked and how can we take some of what has worked during this time and move forward with it at the betterment of all. That's good stuff. It's very good stuff. I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, one of the most interesting aspects of this is figuring out now, cause I, I, I just this aspect, I, I have to say this as a kid, I could find a million and one ways to figure out how not to do something before it's due. And then just right as it's due, get it done. Right. And I'd be struggling in this, uh, this, this online world where it'd be like, okay, is it really due now? You know, could we just, <laughs> and, uh, so. Well, that's an interesting skill that I, it's, that's actually part of the social emotional skill bank is self-management and that's okay. It's, and again, you're saying that like, it's a bad thing, but it's okay. If it takes you a while to, I mean, I'm the same way. I need a deadline. And I need, I don't know if it's procrastination, but sometimes I do have, I have a, and I valued it. And now I embrace it as my process for me to do a certain, it depends on the work. If it's a menial task or not, not menial, but you know, like if I'm have to send a bunch of emails then I chunk it and I can email those out. But if it's something that I require creative thinking, I do sometimes wait until the last minute and I need the deadline, but it's knowing that about yourself and that's what I'm talking about. If, if students could have be empowered to know that about themselves and educators too, and that's okay. And there's no stigma or judgment around that. That's the good stuff. That's where learning is going to happen. You got that right. That's cool. Uh, you, you know, one of the things in, in, in your article, you share that there are things that a teacher can do, you know, to kind of get through this and you call it self-care 101. Could you talk about why mindset matters? Yes, mindset matters so much. What I've seen from working with thousands and thousands of educators across the country is that educator mindset is the single dif differ, the biggest differentiator between a thriving classroom and a stagnant classroom. Educators' beliefs, the way they think about themselves, the way they think about their students, the way they think about everything. So when you go to work, you are bringing your whole self, even if you try to compartmentalize it or not, you are still you. So when I talk about self-care 101, it needs to start with you, the human. It needs to start with me. So when I was burnt out, I realized that really fast. No one was going to help myself. No one was going to help me except for me. No one helps you except for you. And you cannot teach or care for students or your family or your spouse or your friends if you are not taking care of yourself. And that's when all of the conflict or issues that happen in the world is because people aren't taking care of what they need and giving back to themselves. 
a lot of educators come into this profession because they want to help. They are uh, bleeding heart, compassionate, wonderful people, but sometimes they give too much of themselves. They're drained and they don't know to take care of themselves. And they think it's selfish to take care of yourself. It is not selfish. And every educator who's listening to this, and if you are in the business of developing human potential, I would call you an educator. You have to take time for yourself because nobody's going to give you permission to, and you won't be able to function if you don't. That's powerful, powerful stuff right there. Cause it's, you're right. You know, one of the things that happens when I was a, um, I'm going to say this evil word. I was a principal. Okay. And the, not evil. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> it's not evil I, at all. That's was, great. Thanks. I was a, I was a teacher, a history teacher. All my stuff's high school. I was a high school history teacher for a long time. And then, uh, and then assistant principal and, uh, and then principal. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, as a principal, you kind of had to commit yourself to saying to a, someone here you're hiring, who's brand new, who's not t- taught ever, um, you kind of had to commit yourself to saying, you know, if they bring up wanting to do something extracurricular wise, then I'll talk with them about it. Otherwise I won't uh, really go there with them unless that's just something that they're, they're wanting to do because a lot of times brand new teachers come in and they got all this energy and everything and they want to do everything they can. And, uh, and you want them to too, because they're, they're inspiring. They got all this power, they got all, all kinds of good stuff happening. And, uh, and you're, you know, you're going to help them, suddenly you have lots of negative feelings if they got too much going on on their plate. I mean, I'm sure you ran into that. Right. And, and that's where returning to self-care is so important, especially now we just actually released um, a blog where we're encouraging educators to share this. It's finding your why, because that, why did you get into education in the first place? So the energy and the, and the, the vitality of a new teacher, why does it get beaten out of them? It doesn't have to. And that's what I'm sharing. That's why teachers are burning out because they're, they're wanting to do so much. And then you do bite off more than you can chew. And then you stop taking care of yourself and then you start giving too much and then you get burnt out and then you become jaded and then it's a whole thing. So if we could maintain self-care shields, <laughs> like self-protection to make sure that you are maintaining a healthy balance with your own emotions, taking time for yourself, then you will have energy to do more. But there's a point where you have to make sure that you know your own limitations, you can set your own boundaries, so you can serve more. Because that's what happens is even new teachers, they have all these wonderful ideas, but that who taught them skills too? And just like the teacher who's been teaching for 15 years, who might be jaded and burnt out, it's because they are still not taking care of themselves. And I think it would be important for leaders, and I share this all the time when I do leadership workshops, leaders also feel like they don't they don't have time to take care of themselves. But you cannot be an active leader if you are not taking care of yourself as well. It is empathy is the biggest thing we need to be able to bring in every human interaction, which basically empathy is putting yourself in the shoes of another, understanding their perspective, and you making your decisions with that understanding. You cannot do that if you're burnout. You cannot do that if you're exhausted. You cannot help and really listen and, and hold a space for somebody who might be struggling if you aren't taking care of your own self. And that's what we need to do in education because students are struggling all over the place, either with academics, with their personal lives, all of it. 
you got that right. You know, it's it's interesting uh, what you're talking about. You know, because uh, like I, as a principal, I learned rather quickly. Um, well, I don't think I learned. I think I was more told by one of my <laughs> staff members um, who uh, he he was a retired engineer who I had hired to be in a golf cart to wander around campus to help we from time to time would have, you know, intruding uh, forces come from other <laughs> parts of the world that you had to remind them that this is a school, you cannot be here. And then also to remind ours that, you know, you're not allowed to go off campus <laughs> during right. the day. So, but, uh, um, and I'd catch myself getting kind of overwhelmed and sniffing at people. And one day he said to me, he said, you know, sometimes you might need to give yourself a time. He didn't have mind telling you what he was thinking. All right. <laughs> and he said, he said, uh, you might need to uh, give yourself a time out from time to time. And he said, just call me on the radio and say, Hey, can you come get me? And, uh, and so I'd call him. I'd say, hey, Philip, can you come get me? And he'd come get me. And we wouldn't talk. He'd just ride me around for a few minutes. And I'd tell people, I said, if you see me in the cart, I said, I've put myself in timeout, which means that I've been, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing well. So <laughs> it's not a good time to come see me and say, can I have a second? Uh, give me five more minutes, all right? Well, <laughs> and that right there is a huge skill, knowing when to take a break and knowing when to ask for help. That shows um, brave leadership right there. So well done that you knew, or that at least you got encouraged or somebody helped you see. It's okay. It's okay to take a timeout. I mean, gosh, I wish more people would take timeouts. Then you would have a lot less conflict or stress for I think, sure. I think you're right. And I appreciate that too, by the way, because it did help because you'd go, you get out there and get in the fresh air for just a minute. And it's like, okay, let's try another shot at this again. <laughs> go back in, but throw me back in the right, ring. Right, and that's... Absolutely. And a lot of things I share in the pro paper are just are, are even strategies just to take a time out. How do we interrupt that brain pattern? Like when you're stressed and your brain starts shutting down, your body starts tensing up, you're not going to make any clear decisions. You're not going to be able to be proactive, be sensitive, be empathetic, none of that. So by saying, I need a minute, drive me around in a golf cart, please. That is self-care. That's cool. That's, that's cool. Never really thought about it that way. Although I, I think there were people in the building that were happy that I had gone out. Put myself <laughs> Either way, but you're self-caring. So you're not yelling at them too. Like everyone's happy. That's Trust true. me. If people, people know that it's important to take care of yourself because you don't want to cause grief for others either. Very cool. Very good. That's very, very true. Very true. So um, in, in your article, you talk about self-compassion and you make sure that you point out that that's not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing. A lot of educators feel that self, anything when you say self and selfish, but self-compassion is just the idea of knowing that you're not alone. It's knowing that you also, a lot of times we have negative self-talk. I've heard that a lot. I mean, just from conditioning, from our cultural and societal systems, um, how you were raised, beliefs. Some people, for instance, I, I referenced this in the pro paper, but an example about negative self-talk. So just this morning, <laughs> this morning um, I had like a series of unfortunate events this morning. I almost got into a car accident. Uh, my order was wrong at Starbucks. Um, I almost got a parking ticket. There were like, like stuff things happened in a row. So I could have said to myself is, oh my God, I'm so stupid. Like, of course this happens to you victim, victim, victim. And like started jumping at myself, but instead, because I use the tools, I don't, I'm telling you people who are listening to me, I literally practice this stuff daily. Like this morning I practiced it. I took a deep breath and I said, how can I be kind to myself in this moment? 
get some perspective. I didn't get a ticket. Thank, thank, thank the universe. I was safe. I didn't get into that car accident. So maybe this is telling me that I have pause and refocus so I can get home safely. So it's knowing in the moment that you are okay and it is okay to say nice things to yourself and everybody suffers. Everybody struggles. You are not alone in that. So self-compassion is just giving yourself the kindness that you would offer to a friend. We don't do that. And there's another activity I talk about with courageous compliments where I, all it is is just giving somebody a compliment. Like, Steve, I love how you shared that story of you understanding yourself worth enough to take a time out. Well done. But the important part is you have to say, thank you. It's true. Cool. That is so hard to do because of the fact that educators, people, humans, I mean, just anybody, right? A lot of people <laughs> don't take that in or their, their negative self-talk is so strong that they like bat anything good away, like a volleyball. They're like, boop, 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 boop. you can't see me on podcast, but I'm batting a volleyball away with my hands. I forget podcasts. You can't see me, but you can probably hear from the <laughs> my sound effects. So by self-compassion, it's just taking a moment even if it's a moment and a deep breath of just saying, it's okay. What can I do that's kind to myself? It is not selfish. It's part of your self-care. I like that. I like that. That, that, that little segment of your article is awesome because it's right on the money where you know, it's, it's, a, it's hard for people to, to think that way. You know, and it's, I guess, it's kind of been taught. It's kind of pushed out of you, taught out of you, whatever. So, Oh yeah. You're supposed to do it right yesterday. This, I also talk about perfectionism. Like what is up with that? Mm-hmm. We just even, and even our students are struggling about afraid of making mistakes, afraid of being wrong. Like what happened that we decided that that was okay. And so many times in workshops that I've done with educators, I mean, I use this, I actually play a game called failure to da, where I have people um, stand up, and share time made mistakes and we just clap. There's a woo! Like literally I was driving once and poured an entire latte on my lap. Nice. <laughs> and then I just had people clap. Or I presented to a group of principals, true story, with my dress on backwards. I had no idea until I got home. And this was pre-COVID. This was not on a Zoom call. This was like in, in person. My dress was on backwards and nobody said anything. So yay! Like it's just, it's okay. And I think that's another great thing about COVID is that it's brought in realness, like um, especially when the world shut down a year ago, you saw celebrities' homes, news anchors were at home. You saw people um, dealing with their kids in real time. There were, um, you know, priests live streaming masks with Facebook filters on because they didn't know. I mean, it was like this is this is real. That's it's okay to make mistakes. Like we we have to get out of this per- perfect society, perfect Instagram filter, blah blah blah. We have to know that it's okay. We need to be real. It's okay to screw up. In fact, we want we want to make mistakes. It's how we learn, and that's an okay part of life. So, self compassion and positive self talk are part of that. That's cool because that's it's difficult. I mean, because especially you know if you're worried that uh, you're going to make a mistake and people then what's going to happen next as a result of that. It's, it's kind of, it's one of those things where it is exhausting. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like, okay, we just, how can we, and I'm always envious of the people who for some reason they can laugh or smile or everything is, is, is no problem. And, uh, um, and you can too. 
these are skills to be learned. It is okay. And it, 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 and I'm telling you, I'm, I may sound like a guru, but I literally have to practice it every day. And it's, it's, it's just to do a little bit of something every day and it helps and it will. And I'm telling you, you'll also feel better if you can laugh about things, if we can infuse more laughter, song movement, just in our lives and just know that it's okay. Like, I feel like we do take things very seriously. Oh, very I'm much not so. saying life is a joke, but I think there's elements of fun, connection, enjoyment that we could bring back. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And that's what, uh, you know, too often it's, it, it is, everything's so f- focused on, you got to get this score, you got to get this right. You got to get it this, this way. And, um, that you, you miss out on the fun part <laughs> and it could be anything. <laughs> and, the, and, and schools became places of, of, um, producing test results and where has the joy gone? Learning inherently is a very enjoyable activity. But I feel like that that's what's causing burnout, too, is the pressures like you. We should have done this yesterday. The state test is next week. And if we don't achieve or you know what, there's some skills that if you can show that in a state assessment, that's great. But we're going to we're going to learn in this really um, engaging way. And I'm going to pay attention to who's in my classroom. And I can do that because I'm taking care of myself. Like it's all interconnected. Oh, definitely. Most definitely. That's good stuff. I you know, and it's it is that. Because I got to tell you, what I love most about teaching was the fact that, you know, the interaction with the kids is if you don't love that, that's just, you know, it's so cool. Why are you and, there? Yeah, exactly. Because that's Why what you it's, there? you're trying to make the you're light bulb go off. Right. <laughs> you're trying to, trying to make something happen there that's, that, that gets them excited about it. And that's the fun part about it. And like you said before, I mean, I, one of my favorite stories that I love to talk about, now, you know, this young man had an incredible talent for making bird noises that sounded real. And I swear you'd go, and I knew he was coming to my class. I taught 10th graders. I love teaching 10th graders. They're awesome. They, they're not like seniors who know too much, already know life and everything. And they don't know, you know they don't want to listen to you because they know everything. And then, you know, they're not ninth graders who just recently were eighth graders who are got lots of chemical things going on in their bodies. <laughs> and, uh, but they'll, they'll have fun and they'll let you and they'll experience it, although they like to argue everything. But that's a good part. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he, he could make the best bird noises. And I was told as from his ninth grade teacher, just wait. We don't know who it is, but you got a bird coming. And I'm like, a bird coming? And then the bird appeared. And it was funny how I found out was my connection with the other kids who they'd had enough of the bird. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was, it was the coolest thing. He, he loved it when I caught him. Because, you know, I said to him one after a class one day, I said, uh, I even remember his name. I'm not going to say it right now. But he, I said to him, I said, can you make sure that the little bird stays home tomorrow? And he, he looked at me and he started to argue with me. And I said, I just kind of made a, f- a funny face. And he, he just kind of shook his head. And, you know, it was funny. The next year as an 11th grader, he came to me at lunchtime when I was on lunch duty, speaking of things that you do. And he said, how do you know I was doing the bird noise? And I said, a little bird told me. <laughs> I said, man, that's not fair. <laughs> but, you know, it's those types of things that make, I mean, I had to deal with a bird in my class, a bird noise in my classroom, and it was fun. I mean, I could have been the opposite. Make the bird go away. But, you know, instead. Right, it's, and it's, it's helping that student know, like, clearly he's making a bird noise because he wants to be 
seen, yes. right? Like when students are, are doing this behavior, it's because they don't feel they're seen, they don't feel they're valued. So by, by honoring him, acknowledging him and saying, you know, like there's time and place for bird noises, maybe not today, you know, that that's, and that's all kids want. And that's, and that's, that's all we want as humans too. Like the teachers need to feel seen, heard and valued leaders, all of us. It's, it's what puts us on this planet. It really is. It's a cool thing. It's a good stuff. I, you know, one of the things that I want to make sure that we talk about, because you get into work-life imbalances, um, can you just touch on that just a little bit? Because that's a big part of where that burnout comes from that they got to recognize. And we got, we kind of touched on it just a little bit, but can you kind of put some names to some of that? Yes. First of all, stop being a slave to your email. Your email is everybody else's agenda. So you need to set boundaries around email. And this is me telling myself this just in real time nice. because we can check email on phones. It, it you're all of a sudden you're working nonstop. So you need to make sure that this, uh, all of it's part of self-care. So first recommendation boundaries of email. Second recommendation, stop bringing homework. You're never going to look at. I swear every time I would go home, I would have like all of the books every day and it would sit in my car. So just stop it. Just give yourself permission to not bring that home. And also don't bring it home on the weekend too, if you're not going to look at it. And third, stop taking your personal time for school. Find ways to say no. And really, um, I my last couple of years of teaching, I don't know what happened. I channeled Einstein time, but I was able to get a lot done or I focused for the last 30 minutes of the day. I did all any planning. I wrote a list of things I need to do before I came in the next day. And then I walked away. You need to walk away. You can't keep taking it home because you're going to care. You're still going to be a human. You're still going to think about your kids, but what are you doing for you? The other way that you can do work-life balance is take a tech timeout. A lot of times people think self-care is sitting on the couch, watching shows and scrolling through Facebook. Mm -mm. That is not self-care. That's called numbing. I put my phone literally in a drawer on the weekends because I'm addicted to my email. Hi, my name is Danielle. I'm addicted to my email. I totally get that. So, and so I can't, I don't want to delete it because it's a tool. So I literally remove the tool um, and not, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty sometimes of going from my phone to my computer, to my iPad, to the TV. Like it's crazy. Like there's days I'm like, Oh my gosh, have I just looked at a screen all day? You got to take a time out, get outside, take care of you. And Make sure you are protective of the time with your family. That has been huge. I think a lot of people have reclaimed that with COVID, but just because you can work more doesn't mean you should. So when can you call it quits? Like I'll set a time um, at night. I'm like, I'm done today at five. Maybe I'm done today at six or some days I'm done at three. Cause I'm literally done a hundred percent. Like I can't even, I'm then I go ride my bike or get out so just knowing yourself and saying it's okay. And maybe some days you have to work longer. That's fine. Or pick one day a week that you're going to plan and that's your long day and then cut it out and take the rest of the time. Setting boundaries, knowing what's okay and what's not okay for yourself is going to help you. And try a phone-free weekend. It'll liberate you. You won't even know what happened. You'll be like, what? There's birds by my house, not just that kid. What? That's exciting. Definitely is exciting, and and yes, and and for for those of us who uh, have a problem doing that, it is you actually have to hide it away and turn it off, or you just pretend like it's not there because that's and it's difficult, isn't it? <laughs> Put it in your car. Oh yeah, it is difficult. Even if you need to do it like baby steps for an hour, 
Okay, you can just take a test for an hour. No, okay, maybe two hours. But you need to prioritize yourself. No one is going to prioritize you. And your phone is just everybody else's agenda too. If somebody sends you a text, it's their agenda. Facebook, their agenda. Everything is their agenda. So if you want time for you, just stop. Say no. That's awesome. I Just a side note, I had a boss one time who um, he had noticed that I had, I had just as a side note, I had read an article that said, only make it so that people can leave you messages at one place. All right. So if you have multiple cell phones, if you have multiple emails and stuff like this, you know, cut back on all that stuff. And so I took that for granted. I took that at face value and I said, fine, I'm going to do that. I had a couple different cell phones. I had a office phone that had voicemail on it. I had a couple different places. And I said, I'm not going to do this. And, uh, and then I get a phone call that said, Steve, Hey, I noticed that you didn't set up your voicemail on your cell phone. And I said, well, that was on purpose. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. Go ahead. You need to set it. Yeah, that didn't work. So <laughs> I had to try different ways. So then I just had to put the phone away. So <laughs> it's like, but Hey, all is fun. So, you know, one of the things I want to make sure that I get to here is that you do in the article and you've touched on this a lot here, but you, you, one of the things you talk about is a teacher has to figure out how to have more fun. Okay. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Give us some examples. So lots and lots of research, and I do reference a lot of this research in the paper. Yes, you do. I've shown that it's when we say fun, I think a lot of people are like, okay, no, I like don't smile until October. It's the end of the, I can't, I can't have fun until after state assessments. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Mm-mm. That is wrong. I'm going to go back to what are, what are we doing in education, right? We want students to learn. How do students learn? When they're calm their brains are calm, when they feel safe, when they feel seen, heard, and valued, that is how kids learn. How do adults learn? The same way. How do we get ourselves in those states to learn? By activating our brain in ways that we can laugh from singing, from moving. All of those activities actually put us in a framework to learn. But unfortunately, it is seen as fluff, or not important. So in the paper, I've shared activities, very easy, simple ways to incorporate more fun, to open up your brains for learning, and then also feel more connected to those in the room. So if you're doing an adult session or as a leader, you're working with your staff, teachers, with students, even with your own children and friends at home, we are neurobiologically built for human connection. And we want to feel seen, I keep saying this, feel seen and heard, what does it mean? We want to belong by incorporating laughter, which increases serotonin, which helps open up our brains, eases our amygdala, which makes us um, the reptilian part of our brain, which if you start to have a tr- trigger, um, that's that'll take over. And then you either are fighting, leaving or freezing. No learning can happen there. Um, research has been proven that groups sing in order to bond with strangers. That's why people sing in church. That's why people sing at sports games. That's why when pandemic first happened, you had Disney sing-alongs in your living room. You saw people singing on their balconies in Italy, people on the streets of San Francisco, people sing to feel connected. And then finally movement. Kids are not meant to sit in desks all day. Kids are not, adults aren't meant to sit in front of computers all day. We're not meant to just sit, sit, sit. So by incorporating more movement, dancing, 
um, any type of movement is going to really help, again, open up for learning. And honestly, when you do any of these things, it's so fun. So one thing that I do, and I've done this in person and virtually with thousands of educators, is dancing the alphabet with your butt. Let me explain. It's hard hard to like make some of this stuff come alive if you don't really talk about it. So what that does is it incorporates all three. It's laughing. You can sing to the music, but you're moving. So any song, pick a song, any song. I love Justin Timberlake's Can't The Feeling from Trolls. All you do is stand up and you just literally start dancing the alphabet with your butt. Like you make the alphabet with your butt, lower, uppercase, doesn't matter. You do that for a couple minutes, you feel better. And we've done that. I've done that, like I said, with thousands of educators and personal story. I've done it for myself, like days that I've just been miserable or grumpy or whatever. I'm very fortunate to have people in my life who remind me and they're like, stand up. I'm like, no, I won't. They're like, stand up. I'm like, fine. And then you start and then you just feel so much better. So this is, these are activities that you can do anytime. I mean, dancing the alphabet, your butt, it sounds hilarious. And it is. And you could do that in the middle of the day with your students virtually or in person. You can do that at the dinner table with your, I mean, after you eat, maybe it wouldn't be safe dancing while you're eating, but you get my point. It's a really fun way to just stay connected. That infusing laughter. Um, We play a game on Zoom called Freeze Face. How many of you have ever frozen on Zoom? I know it's a podcast. So it's hard to see this, right? Okay. Everyone knows what it means to be frozen. I think it'd be funny. And once we go back into real human interaction, if people just start freezing, that would be funny. So if you're on a Zoom meeting, you just say one, two, three, and everyone makes a face like you're frozen because no one's frozen in an attractive way. You're always frozen with like the worst face. Of course. Um, another, yeah, that's terrible. Another thing is just, I call it a creepy smile. You just smile, kids. That's It's fun. They think it's weird. They don't know what's happening. It's hard to do with masks. I totally get it. But you just smile at them. And then you can't not smile when someone's smiling at you. But these are fun, easy ways to incorporate more laughter. It doesn't take a whole 30 minutes. It's just reminding you to do some of these activities peppered in your day to remember and open up brains for learning. So and, and a lot of these I did get from improv. That's where my improv comes in. So I infuse a lot of the fun of improv, improv games. I mean, you could get, there's so many more things that we could talk about to infuse more fun. And you can Google improv games for classrooms, like a lot of play, um, even just having kids sing quick, like five minutes, play a music song. Let's all sing. Boom, done. Next subject. I just think there's so many things educators can do and we don't. So that's what I'm saying. More fun. It doesn't have to derail your entire day. It's how do we incorporate these activities within the context of our day to make the day more joyful and more fun. Very cool. Very cool. And so powerful. I love it. The, uh, you know, I got uh, some great idea. You got, give me some great ideas there. So that's good stuff. What? Huh? <laughs> yeah, I know. Nobody can see me either, but. <laughs> hard to be frozen when they're listening they're yes. like did, did the podcast skip yeah. the editing no we we're trying to be funny but it's hard to do on a podcast yeah anyway, um so so danielle we're getting close to finishing up if you had a chance to talk to an audience of brand new teachers what advice would you give them to help them keep their passion so i'm talking about the fall of 21 we're getting ready to start a new school year and wherever we are with the pandemic then is where we are if you had a chance to talk with this 
Huge auditorium, 1,200 brand new teachers. What would you what would you tell them to keep their passion? How? Start a Monday folder right away. What that will be is as you start, first off, um, the first thing in your folder is going to be your why. So what are you excited about? What do you hope to accomplish as a teacher? And why does it matter? So start there, write that down, stick it in a folder. Then throughout your first year of teaching, anytime you get a compliment, anytime a student does something that you see the light bulb, they write you a cute letter, they leave something on your desk, put that in your folder. Then halfway through the year, when you start to feel overwhelmed, it's called a Monday folder because so many educators struggle with Mondays. (laughs) Open the folder up and remember why you're doing it. Then keep collecting it. You matter. You are amazing. You are about to embark on one of the most meaningful careers if you let it and don't let it crush your spirit. Remember why you're here and keep true to you and take time for you and please fill your own cup every step of the way. Very cool. Awesome stuff. I, you know, it, uh, I got to make sure that I, I ask you about this before we go, because we're almost finished up here. Um, you have a podcast called Extraordinary Educators. You want to tell everyone a little bit about it? Yes. So at uh, Curriculum Associates, we actually have a program that we, if you're an educator listening to this, you can apply. We'll be opening up applications soon. And it's, um, we have a class of extraordinary educators that we select educators from across the country to just celebrate them for doing the work that they do. And part of that is that we interview them on the podcast. And if you're listening um, and you want to be interviewed, it's just all we do is we interview educators and we just collect their stories on, especially this, uh, this season um, through the pandemic has just been, how's your year? (laughs) It's been a very interesting a collection of how everyone's year has been, but just a place for educators to listen to tactical tips, feel that they're not alone, uh, listen to other educators sharing what is working in their classrooms. Very cool. Very cool. It's, it's excellent. I've listened to several episodes. I'm loving it. I've subscribed. So my challenge <laughs> to you guys, you got to subscribe. Extraordinary educators. Good stuff. So uh, let's circle back to curriculum associates. Give them a commercial. What's its purpose? What's its focus? <laughs> So Curriculum Associates, our goal is to help educators help educators make sure that students know exactly where they need to go to grow. And we support you in doing that work through assessment, curriculum, um, actionable data-driven products and solutions. We have core math solutions and I actually solutions because product feels very stagnant we provide solutions for educators to foster growth and learning in classrooms. So we do that through iReady. You probably heard of more people have heard of iReady than they've heard of (laughs) curriculum associates, but we're the company that has iReady. We have a core math solutions. Uh, We partner, we also have reading. We have a new reading product coming out for three through five called magnetic. That's coming out this fall, but our goal is really to help empower students and educators through data and high quality instructional solutions. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, Danielle, before we close, if someone wanted to connect with you or learn more, where would you send them? You could check me out on LinkedIn. Um, Oh my gosh. Do I even have my tags? (laughs) Uh, Okay. I have a LinkedIn page. We can link down the show notes. I am also, I'm on Twitter, DM Sullivan zero zero. And 
you know, connect with me. I'm, I'm where you can check out our extraordinary educator podcast that is on Apple podcasts. We also have, we'll probably put a link, I think in your show notes and um, I am on Facebook too, but that's not, that's more like personal, but if you happy to check me out, but more LinkedIn, that's uh, a great place to message me, check out my page and all the cool things we're doing at curriculum associates. Excellent. I'll put links in the show notes for you there. So that will be good stuff. So uh, I got the last two questions for you. One goes like this. How do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? <laughs> Appropriate question for what we've been talking about. Yes, exactly. For me, it's, I have signs of when I'm starting to get overwhelmed and burned out. So like I said, I do this, my, I share that these resources because I literally do them every day. Um, I return to me. I have a morning routine that I carve out. Um, I make sure that it's part of its learning, part of its writing, part of its meditation. So if I'm struggling and wanting to quit something, I use my tools, I'll journal, I'll try to really understand what's happening. And then I also ask for help when needed. So I practice the skills that I share with educators because they work. And there's been a lot of times, and I've actually, I have quit many things. I've actually had many jobs in my life. Um, from working at an organic store, I didn't even say it was like, it's been, it's been an interesting journey of a career, but it's knowing what makes me happy and what shines my light the brightest. And it's knowing that. That's awesome. Awesome stuff. I, I, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say, thank you? I do. And I actually did give it, I did say thank you um, cool. after reflecting because I shared the same thing with other educators. His name is Tony Joseph. He, I went to Oswego High School in upstate New York. He was my band teacher and he was so amazing and was just there for me every step of the way. I played saxophone, um, I was in jazz band and he just was the kind of teacher that he just really saw kids and he was just wonderful. And I, he was more of a mentor for me and I asked, I mean, I used him for a lot of emotional support too, even though he, you know, was my band teacher slash jazz band teacher, but he just was so great and just so caring and so fun. And I did reach out to him last year cause he's on Facebook and I said all of that to him. So I do want to share if there is a teacher that has made an impact, take the time to reach out to them if they're still available and alive or find them on Facebook, because it really means a lot to hear from um, even some of my former students have come back to me and just thanked me. It just, it never, never goes away. So I did have the opportunity, which I was really excited because I was like, oh my gosh, right. He's still alive. I could just tell him this. And then I, I commented and then he had a barrage of other students comment, which was so cool to see because he deserves it. Just like every amazing teacher deserves to hear how awesome they are. So cool. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing. And, and you're so right. That is a, and it's a, that is such a neat thing. So kudos to you for going ahead and taking that step and making sure that uh, he knew um, that you appreciated him. Good stuff. So Danielle, thank you so much for talking with me today. Teaching is stressful with or without the virus. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts about burnout and what to do about it from your article, The Connection Cure, Why Educators Need Balance, Laughter, and Community More Than Ever. And I have a link to it in my show notes, by the way. Awesome suggestions and a must read for everyone, you know, helping anyone keep a positive outlook. Wishing you the best in all you do. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody. Uh, have a wonderful, amazing rest of your day. Hey, did you know that you can buy me a soft drink? That's right. By going to buymeacoffee.com slash Stephen Maletto, you can support Teaching Learning Leading K-12 by making a donation. And it's really cool. I got this little cool uh, soft drink cup right there. <laughs>
That would be so awesome if you do that. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash Stephen Maletto, and you can help support Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Thank you so much. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.